0: Hi, folks. Welcome again to another episode of Pro Football in the 1970s. I'm your host, Joe Zagorski. Now, thanks to the Sports History Network, a signed copy of my new book, The 2003 Yard Odyssey, The Juice, The Electric Company, and an Epic Run for a Record, will be given away to one lucky fan. It's all about the 1973 Buffalo Bills. Please check out the Sports History Network online for details on how you can win a free copy of my new book on the 1973 Buffalo Bill. Thanks a lot for listening into today's episode, folks. Look forward to chatting with you again soon in the future. Take care.
1: Welcome to another edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. I'm Dana Augusta, your host. Well, it's official. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers claim their second Super Bowl win, beating the Kansas City Chiefs 31-9 to as Tom Brady wins his seventh Super Bowl and his fifth MVP award. Not only has he won more MVP awards than any other player in Super Bowl history, he has won more Super Bowls as a player than every other NFL franchise. This week's edition will we will dive into the Buccaneers and how this franchise have had a roller coaster existence since their entry into the league in 1976. And right now, they're seated right at the top of the football world. That will be this week's main event. Also, this week's show will we will have of course the top 5 Featuring groundbreaking ceremonies at two very iconic ballparks in Major League Baseball and two basketball icons achieving milestones in their remarkable playing careers. And don't forget this week's shout outs and much, much more. So sit back, relax, and you're tuned in to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. And now, this week's main event. And welcome to this week's main event. Once again, I'm Dana Auguster, and you have tuned in to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. And the newly crowned Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers are enjoying all the trappings and success comes to Super Bowl champs. But with the additions of Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski, Leonard Fournette, and Antonio Brown, the Bucs' sudden rise to the top of the mountain shouldn't be that big of a surprise. Especially if you... Sh- take a look at their history it should be almost expected so let me explain this the Bucks started in 1976 as we all know they were an expansion franchise along with the uh, Seattle Seahawks at that time and like most expansion teams they wasn't supposed to win a lot but to say that the Bucks struggled in their first couple of years in the National Football League (laughs) that's a supreme understatement because the Bucks lost their first 26 consecutive games when they ended, when they came into the league. To put that into perspective, they the losing streak actually started in September of 1976 and would last until October of 1977 when they won their first game in New Orleans at the Superdome against the Saints. That's 13 months without a win. Now, of course, they weren't playing for the entire 13 months, but you get the picture. And all of the losing and stuff like that was very new to their head coach, former USC head man, man by the name of uh, John McKay. Now, John McKay was a, a type of coach that was very, very innovative. He loved the ground game. But another thing that he liked to do was needle reporters and have wisecracks to questions that they might ask. He's like the 70s version of, say, a Bill Belichick, but funny. Um, one time, one of the uh, reporters in Tampa asked him if he was concerned that Jerry Eckwood and Ricky Bell, their running backs, were carrying the ball a little bit too often. His response was, I'm not too concerned because, heck, the ball isn't that heavy. Another time a reporter asked him about his team's offensive execution. He said simply, I'm in favor of it. They're not talking about the execution of the game plan. He was talking about another type of execution. So that was the Bucks. But by 1979, the Bucks themselves would have the last laugh. As a team, they started off 9-3 and three to begin that season which surprised a lot of people and found themselves in the playoff race for the first time ever. So by ninety by the end of the year, they had a one game that they had to win to get into the playoffs and win the NFC Central Division. And ironically, they had to beat the Chiefs in a driving rainstorm for them to advance to the playoffs for the first time in the history of the franchise. And guess what? On a Neil O'Donohue field goal late in the game, in a driving rainstorm, he makes the field goal, and the Bucks are in the playoffs for the first time ever. After beating the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs, they find themselves an the NFC Championship game, one game away from the Super Bowl, but unfortunately they fell short to the Rams nine to nothing, and the Rams end up going to the Super Bowl against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now they missed the playoffs in 1980, but go back to the playoffs in 1981 and again in 82. But when they walked off the field after the 1982 playoffs, losing to the Cowboys 30-7, to it would be 14 long years before the Bucks would return to the postseason. By that time, it was Tony Dungy who was on center stage in Tampa coming over from the Minnesota Vikings, the former defensive coordinator for the Vikings, put together a squad that was defensive-oriented and was very dependent on a powerful running game. Now, that 1999 team featured players like Derrick Brooks, John Lynch, um, Warren Sapp, um, Rondé Barber, and the power running of uh, Mike Allstock. That team was very, very Physical, both on both sides of the ball, both offensively and defensively. So they finally get to the get to the big game, but this time it wasn't under Dungey. This time Dungey would have been would be replaced by John Gruden, and the the Bucks would finally get to San Diego. Would get to the San, get to San Diego, get to the Super Bowl, and not and play the Oakland Raiders, and they end up beating the Raiders forty eight to twenty one for their first championship. Now, after a couple of wild-card finishes after that Super Bowl year, they made the wild-card in 2005 and again in 2007, but they would fall back into the abyss. For the next 12 years, the Bucs would be floundering like they would know, like they had been throughout most of their history until this year when Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and company come to Central Florida and give the Bucks their second Super Bowl. And of course, the question remains after this Super Bowl is, how long will this era of good bucks football continue? But any indication, if history's a guide, may not be that long. And that was this week's main event, my salute to the new Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Hello and welcome back to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, you could also follow us right here on Twitter with, at HistoricallySP2. That's my Twitter handle. Once again, it's HistoricallySP2, where we drop daily sports knowledge every single day on right, on, right there on Twitter. And uh, speaking of daily knowledge, man, check out the Pigskin Dispatch Podcast with my sports history partner in crime, Darren Hayes. And his interview this week, a uh, couple of days ago with uh, Bill Schaefer of the Gridiron Uniform Database is one of the interviews that he's done this week. And let me tell you that that interview was really on point. And there some things in that database that like a football historian and sports historian in general like I am, I couldn't get enough of that website. It was just an unbelievable set of uh, things that he has on that website so if you're a sports historian like i am of course you are because you're listening uh check him out man it's the gridiron uniform database and other and darren also drops another other football nuggets year round since and he says all the time just just because his foot is the off season football news is still going and there's a lot of football history on a daily basis so check him out and you can only hear his podcast and others right here on the sports history network so Coming up next uh, is the top five of historical events that took place between the dates of January 31st and February the 6th. And that's what I'm going to be talking about uh, coming up. And um, including in that is uh, two groundbreaking ceremonies that took place this week, well, this past week in sports history, of two iconic ballparks. And... Um, Those, these two icon, these two ballparks are truly, truly iconic. Also, we will discuss uh, a sports pioneer who changed the way we look at sports on television. And also, a record that was broken by, in my opinion, statistically speaking, the greatest player in NBA history. And it's not who you think it is. And that's coming up on this week's top five. Welcome back to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, and right now, this is this week's top five. Number five, groundbreaking ceremonies at Yankee Stadium and Oriole Park at Camden Yards. In 1921, the New York Yankees found a place to play in a, at the site of an old lumber yard in the Bronx. And the the Yankees had to move out of Hilltop Park in the early part of the, in the late part of the 1918 season and started playing at the polo grounds. And they got into a little bit of beef with the uh, owner of the, of the Giants, a man by the name of John McGraw. And he decided, the Yankees decided, I mean, that we need to find our own place. So they found a place up in the Bronx, which would later be called Yankee Stadium. And in 1921, this past week, they broke ground on, one of the most famous ballparks in all the sport anywhere in the world. Also, this past week in 1990, they broke ground on a place that would be called Oriole Park at Camden Yards, and that stadium would bring back would bring back the old retro style ballpark that we that mostly every ballpark in in all of Major League Baseball is patterned after. Um, it was located on the Baltimore waterfront. And it was just brought back this old retro style, which is which I love personally. Um, one of the main features is of course the warehouse that's located beyond the right field fence. And one of the things that's, uh, that's really cool about it is that somewhere in center field stood the, a, a saloon that was once owned by Babe Ruth's father. So I think that's a pretty neat little thing dealing with that ballpark and the history of that area. Located right there on the uh, Baltimore waterfront. Number four is Pete Maravich, surpassing 3,000 points in an NBA, NCAA basketball career. That had never happened before. Pete Maravich is one of the greatest scorers in the history of college basketball, really in the history of basketball, really. Uh, he was an All-American at LSU, graduated from there in 1970 and he was a draft pick by the Atlanta Hawks. That's where he started his NBA playing career. But Pete Maravich is an all time leading scorer in the history of college basketball. And it's not even close. He averaged 40, like around 43 points per game, which is an unbelievable figure if you really sit not think about it. And this is without a three point shot. And also, he, uh, he amassed those numbers in only three seasons because freshmen couldn't play varsity. Doing the late '60s, so just take take that into consideration. No three point shot, and only played for three seasons. He was just an un- if you have a chance to check him out on YouTube, check him out. He's just one of the most unbelievable, flashy ball handlers that you will ever see. Um, people like to compare, like to compare Steph Curry to him, and there it is. It is a little bit of an app comparison because they both were great shooters and great ball handlers. So check him out if you ever ever get a chance. Number three, Super Bowl 51, quite simply the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history and the stuff of nightmares for Falcon fans. Me living here in Atlanta, people have still haven't gotten over it. Um, Patriots, of course, rally from 28 to 3 over the Falcons, and they can, they win in overtime, first Super Bowl ever to go into overtime. Patriots win 30, 34 to 28. Tom Brady, once again, most valuable player. Um and of course, the largest comeback, 25 points, largest comeback in Super Bowl history. And people here in Atlanta have not gotten over it. And it's one of the iconic, iconic moments in, in the long, illustrious career of Tom Brady. Of course, he's to GOAT. Of course. Number two, John Stockton surpasses Magic Johnson in total assists in a career in 1995. When you compare college, when you compare basketball players in total, there are five statistical categories, points, rebounds, assists, steals, and block shots. John Stockton statistically may be the greatest player of all time, statistically speaking. Why? He's the all-time leader in two of those categories for a career, and it's not even close. He's well ahead of Jason Kidd in both steals and assists. In this particular week, in 1995, he surpassed Magic Johnson as the all-time leader in assists. John Stockton was one of the greatest and hideous players you'll ever see play point guard for the Utah Jazz. And, of course, him teaming up with the great Carl Malone was just it was just magic to watch. It was just unbelievably and just magical to watch those two operate in Jerry Sloan's system with the pick and roll. They were devastating with that simple, basic basketball play. And number one moment of the week is Ed Sable elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Ed Sable is one of the great pioneers in the history of sports and sports on television. He started NFL Films in 1963, I believe it was, and he changed the way we look at sports on television because of his NFL films and the way his cinematography and the music and gave gave football more of a dramatic and more of a cinematic presence that we still enjoy to this day. I was a big fan of it growing up. A lot of sports fans based their fandom and based their love of their game on Of football. Based on Ed Sable's creativity. Along with his son Steve Sable. Neither one of them. Neither one of them unfortunately are are around anymore. But Ed Sable. Being elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Changed the way we look at sports. And was a true true pioneer. In sports television. And the way we look at football. And the way we look at sports total. On television. And that ladies and gentlemen. This week's top five. And this is the last segment of the podcast, which I like to call shout outs. And this week, we're going to start off with a shout out going to A.G. Spalding. Yeah, I know that name does sound familiar. Back in 1876, with a loan from his mother, he started a sporting goods franchise, which had became a sporting goods empire. You talk about footballs, basketballs, baseballs, golf balls, tennis balls, he was the king of sporting goods back in the early twentieth century, and more than I'm more than sure anybody had some kind of uh, Spalding ball in their closet or they played with overtime. So shout out go to A. G. Spalding this week, 1876 started his his sporting goods empire. Next one is Curly Lambeau, another another familiar name. Curly Lambeau gets a shout out. Nineteen fifty, he resigns as head coach of the bucket of the uh, Green Bay Packers, and after thirty-one seasons, he practically started the franchise. He was a player for them and later became a coach, led them to six NFL championships during this time. Another shout out goes to George Mikan and the American Basketball Association. In nineteen sixty-seven, he starts the ABA. And he becomes that that in George Mike and former superstar in the NBA with the Minneapolis Lakers. He becomes the that league's first ever commissioner and which was a direct rival to the NBA back in the late nineteen sixties. Another commissioner of no gets a shout out too, and that's David Stern, who became uh Commissioner in 1984 replacing the longtime Commissioner Larry O'Brien as NBA commissioner. He oversaw the growth of the NBA that no one had ever expected or believed that it would, would even happen. David Stern first overseen the careers of Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Michael Jordan, all the way, all the way through to LeBron James. Davis Stern was the commissioner and he oversaw the growth of the league. You see it went to uh, internationally. So David Stern truly deserves a shout out and rounding it off another shout out to another in, to actually three NBA entities. And those are three NBA teams. The Portland Trailblazers, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Buffalo Braves. Now, you know them now as the Los Angeles Clippers. But Portland, Cleveland, and Buffalo, 1970, they were awarded NBA franchises back then. Portland, of course, started off as the Trailblazers, Cleveland Cavaliers. But the Buffalo Braves played in Buffalo until like the late 1970s. Then they decided to move across country to San Diego where they became the Clippers so those are the shout outs for this week in sports history I want to thank everyone for listening in to this this week's podcast another one is coming up really soon so I'm glad you guys were able to take time out of your busy day and making us part of your day so thank you once again and once again see you next week with another edition of the Historically Speaking podcast I'm Dana Augusta signing off
0: This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network, and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history, but as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know, that can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports gesture year, starting with Podcast Network and our website, but we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows, or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you got to do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you got to do, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.